Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what is up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. We are on episode 112. Good to have you here. Hope you're doing well. I hope you've had a great year. Hope you're having a good December here as we're starting to wrap up 2016 and head toward 2017. I hope that uh, your speaking schedule and your your plans, your goals for 2017 with your speaking business are beginning to take shape. If you haven't already thought about it, make sure you do that. Think through what is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you want December 31st, 2017 to look like? And what do you need to be working on now to get from point A to point B. Hey, today we got a great guest for you. We got my buddy Jeff Rose who's hanging out with us. Jeff does a little bit of speaking, but he's actually a, a certified financial planner. But the reason I wanted to have Jeff on the show today is Jeff has done a lot to position himself as an expert, as an authority. And as a result of that, he has certainly got speaking engagements and he's got a lot of other byproducts we'll talk about today as a result of positioning himself as an expert. So we talk about how to position yourself as an expert in your space, in your niche. We talk about how to choose a niche that is not too narrow, but also not too broad. We talk about how he got featured in major media, how that changed his business and has given him more credibility and some of that expert status. We talked about the best free tool that he recommends for getting media connections. And then we also talk about how to build relationships with media people. So a lot to digest here. So let's get right into it. Hope you enjoy. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Jeff Rose. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by my beautiful brother from another mother, Dr. Jeff Rose. I don't think he's a doctor, but he looks like he could be one. He looks like he's a male model is what he looks like. I try. It's the no shave November thing, right? It it's is. the beard. It is. He's got this. He's got this beard going on. We just hung out last week at a retreat, and he's got this. He's just got this man beard that uh, that just it looks pretty. So, Jeff, first of all, why don't you give us a quick snapshot of who you are, what it is that you do, and then uh, we've got kind of an interesting topic of conversation we'll dig into. Yeah. So I'm. Um, I kind of joke around. I always say like my day job is I'm the CEO of Alliance Wealth Management. I'm a certified financial planner. I've, I own my own wealth management firm. I've been an advisor for a little while, going on uh, 14, 15 years, something like that. So that would be my day job, which uh, I just published an article in Entrepreneur where I'm actually at my day job less than eight hours a week. Boom. Yeah. We can talk about that later. Yeah. So in my other day job or night job, which I don't do much anymore because I have four kids, but I also own a blog, goodfinancialsensecents.com. That initially was purely a marketing ploy to get uh, new clients to my practice when uh, just through online marketing and hooking up with guys like yourself and other bloggers over the years has become its own separate business. And that has led to a multitude of so many different opportunities. I mean, it goes so many different directions. So I'm a certified financial planner, blogger, and I like to eat in and out burger. 
So yeah, and I can I've done in and out with you a few times, so I can attest to your your love of that. It's like next level love. There's, it is. There's like your family, and then the in and outs close behind there. So okay, so here's what I want to dig into because you're someone who you've really positioned yourself as a basically a financial expert. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Um, and so that being like having kind of that, that expert status, I would say, in a, a niche or a topic or an industry has really brought you a lot of credibility that's translated to business in a variety of different ways. So that's what I want to dig into a little bit here, because I know that you've done some speaking, but I don't know. Would you classify yourself as a speaker? I mean, I have spoke, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Like I think of I think of you as more of the speaker because you've done more of that speaking circuit. I mean, I can get in the stage. I would definitely, you know, you and I, you just coached me through a 12-minute talk I had to give at a conference recently. Which went well. It it did go well, but I stressed out like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) And it just reminded me like how much work goes into speaking. That was a 12-minute talk. So I could imagine doing a 30-minute, 45-minute keynote. So I don't know. I'm like a mini speaker, I guess. Mini speaker. A cute, cute little mini speaker. You're good at what you do. So, okay. So being positioned yourself as an expert... First of all, let's kind of talk about some of the like positioning yourself as an expert. What has come out of that? What has been some of the benefits that you have received in your business as a result of being known as this go-to person in your industry? Wow. How do you even say one thing? Because I think people need to realize, first of all, like I live currently in Carbondale, Illinois, or actually Carterville, Illinois, next to Carbondale. My hometown where we actually reside, where this recording is taking place, our town is 6,400, I think. The neighboring town over is Carbondale, which has about 25,000. It's a university town. Most likely, you probably never heard of it, and there's really no reason to have heard of it. But I share that because just this year, as an example, I was nominated to be on CNBC's Digital Financial Advisor Council. Financial Advisor Magazine named me one of the top 10 young advisors to watch for this year. There was something else I was not like one of the top 10 social media influencers, financial advisors, social media influencers to watch this year. Actually, it was like three years straight. And there's some other things. And I I share this because this has all become of my online presence. And that has really been totally intentional of positioning myself as that personal finance, financial planning expert. So as far as like what has come from it, I mean everything. <laughs> I mean, you could start with, you know, being my book deal with Soldier of Finance. You could have a course right now that uh, I sell to uh, financial advisors looking to boost their online marketing. So that's a different type of expert, but I've done it. So that uh, other advisors view me as that expert, but new clients, media deals, speaking opportunities, there's just so much that has come from it. I mean, I can't even, that would be an entire podcast in itself. But the point, like, but the point being, like, by positioning yourself as an expert, both I would say probably personally and professionally, you've earned a lot of business out of that. You've earned a lot of credibility. You've earned a lot of respect and trust from again positioning yourself as this go-to person. Absolutely, no question. So, so kind of walk us through that. So, if we go back a couple of years, and you are someone who's going, okay, I've got my financial practice, and I like that you mentioned that you're in a tiny little village because I think sometimes people assume that you know you have to live in some major market. You got to be in New York City. You got to be in L.A. You have to be in Nashville, which you know you should. But for you, when you're getting started there, and knowing that I want to be positioned as an expert, what were like some of those early steps for you? What was kind of that that process of of kind of putting your stake in the ground as that go-to person? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that you have to do is somehow, how do you show other people that you're an expert? And I think in this online space, you know, for me, it was the blog. 
And that was just sharing personal experiences, whether it be client case studies or just different encounters I had through the years, just to showcase, oh, here was a situation. Here's how I dealt with it. And the blog was a huge start. You know, nowadays you don't have to do a blog. It could be a podcast. For me, it started with the blog. It then morphed into also offering, I did a lot of YouTube videos. And that really helped with the media deal, just showing, which also could work great for speakers, you know, that if you can't talk on video, then probably not going to get hired to be a speaker. So I think that's just a way of just showcasing, not only are you like, not only do you know what you're saying, but you're good on how you present it. Right. And then the podcast is something that I do. And these aren't, the blog by far is like the main thing. The podcast and the videos were just, just kind of in addition to, uh, just to be able to offer a different medium that people could uh, digest the content. It all started there. And the amazing thing is that depending on how niche you go, like I was, when you say personal finance expert, like that's still pretty generic. Sure. I mean, it, right. you know, it's versus like saying I'm a budgeting expert or I'm a, a student loan expert. Like that's where we're talking right. a little bit more niche. And I firmly believe if I would have went even more niche, I think that I would have got more traction quicker. But nonetheless, it worked out for me. But I see people now, like other advisors, positioning themselves as a divorce expert or a millennial money expert or Gen Y or a baby boomer. You know, the more niche that you can be, I think it just makes you stand out a little bit more. And people start looking to you as, as that niche person. And it allows a lot more opportunities for, you know, getting quoted in uh, media and stuff. And I think that was kind of like for me, because it was hard to get into some of these big places that you mentioned. But initially, it was just offering quotes to journalists or reporters. I remember like the first big one for me was like Fox News. Like that was just kind of a cool thing. Like, wow, Fox News reached out to me and quoted me. And they found me because they did a Google search, found my blog and saw I was a financial planner. And I spoke on whatever topic it was. I think it was like uh, college savings plans or something. But nonetheless, I wrote on that topic. So just writing on the topic and publishing it made me the expert on that topic. Well, and for context sake, I don't want to dig into more of the media stuff, but for context sake, how long have you been doing your blog? 2008 is when I started. Okay. So the point being that like, it's not like you threw up a site, you know, a couple of weeks ago and now all of a sudden you're getting notice and major publicity. It's a long-term uh, plan of just planting seeds and it takes a while to build some of that, that traction and to get your name out there and be positioned as that expert. So as you're building your brand and building your expertise and your authority and credibility in the marketplace, are there times where if we're at this point when we're recording this eight, nine years later, are there points early on in year one, two, three, where you're just like, I'm writing blog after blog after blog. I'm putting up videos. I'm recording a podcast and I just don't feel like it's going anywhere. I'm spinning my wheels. I'm asking myself, am I wasting my time? I know I'm planting seeds, but it doesn't feel like I'm seeing anything coming out of the dirt. So like talk us through that early on. How are you feeling there? One, like I just firmly believed that the blog was the gateway to something. I didn't know what that something was, but I just, you know, the internet was still growing and blogging was still relatively new. So I was basically throwing spaghetti noodles against the wall, hoping something would stick. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it did not. And I didn't really realize that probably till about two to three years afterwards, because the content that I was putting out was so all over the place. And meaning that, so I covered anything from investing for like newbies to social security to pensions. I didn't have a really clear strategy. And I think once again, going back to if I would have picked 
a certain niche and just drove it home and just talked about like millennials or baby boomers or whatever that topic was and just hammered it. It's just funny because then all of a sudden, like people find you, like when reporters are looking for a topic, like if they're looking for a quote on that topic, you're easily found. And also too, you can be intentional by just doing searches, whatever that niche that you've chosen and looking for articles or blogs or other forums where you might be able to introduce yourself and just say, Hey, if you ever need any other quotes or opinions or anything here, like I've been learning this and here's what I know and I'm glad to help out whenever I can. It seemed like you, you kind of started as almost like trying to be a big fish in a small pond and that's kind of evolved from there. So rather than I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a small fish in this big pond of personal finance, I'm going to try to niche this down. So like, how did you kind of identify, because I think there's kind of this balance of what is too broad and what is too narrow, where personal finance to the masses may feel too broad, whereas teaching about pensions to people that live in Carbondale, Illinois, may be too narrow. I don't know, is it? So how did you kind of balance that of finding like where that middle ground should be? Yeah. So I never actually, I say like I should have got a niche and I know that I should have and probably should. I I never have. I still haven't to this day. And part of the reason for me is that I'd like to do a lot of different things and I get bored talking about one topic. But just to kind of give a perspective, I have a life insurance site that I create on the side and it got more traction in probably one fifth the time because all I talked about was life insurance for about nine months straight. And we published like, I don't know, a couple hundred blog posts. I did maybe 20 YouTube videos. I even started a podcast on life insurance. Exciting yawn, stuff. Yawn. <laughs> but the the revenue and just the, the opportunities that came along with that came so much faster. But for me though, like I couldn't continue to talk about life insurance any longer than I did. Like nine months, like I was done. And I think I've only wrote one blog post for that site in the last two or three years. So I did it and I moved on. But that's just, that's my personality. For me, I have to, because I love writing about, I love writing about personal experiences. Like that's the thing that really gets me excited. So whether that's meeting with a 30-year-old couple that just had their first kid and looking at how to start their financial journey, or that's that 62-year-old that's mulling their pension options and looking to buy an annuity and whatever that might look like. So like whatever for me is like in the moment, like that's what I do and that's what I I share. Gotcha. Well, let's frame it this way. You mentioned that you had that you have good financial sense and that you got the life insurance side. And so both of those kind of putting your stake in the ground started as a blog. And even like you alluded to, those started many, many years ago. You and your wife, who you guys are starting kind of a new brand uh, about around the subject and, and topic of marriage. So I'm curious, do you feel like what worked then still works today? Meaning that if you were starting the personal finance brand today, do you think that starting a blog still works? And so again, framing it in the reference of you're starting a, a marriage brand, which can be a broad topic. So how are you guys kind of figuring that out right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think probably the big difference is right now. So we have an, a name for what we're trying to develop. And just because I don't want to share yet, because I haven't had a trademark yet, but it has to revolve around marriage. For marriage and money, which is still a little bit generic, but that's still niching it down sure. a little bit. And we're going to get even more specific with it. And that's probably the big change because like, oh, we're talking about marriage. But we also know that our target avatar, like who we're going to, our lessons are going to be towards and who we're going to speak to, you know, can we talk to newlyweds? Yeah, we can. But man, we've been married for you know, almost 12 years now. So it's, it's a little bit harder to remember 
all the stuff that we were dealing with before we had four children and had 12 years of marriage. So we just know like right now, who can we speak to? We can speak to those young couples that have young kids and like, that's our audience. Like that's who we're going to speak to. And for us, like that's how we can niche it down and just know where it's easy for us to focus on. But do you think like in this day that doing a blog, like once you know who the audience is and you feel like, okay, it's not too broad, it's not too narrow. I know who I'm about. Do you think today uh, that doing a blog still works or what are you guys yes, doing that, that may go uh, maybe different? I think the only thing that changes now versus then is that there's just social media. So, you know, with Facebook and Twitter or Snapchat, Instagram, you know, these are all places that you just got to figure out, you know, for us, for marriage, it's Facebook and probably Instagram where we need to spend our efforts. And it's just to basically market our brand and our mission on those social media channels. But the blog, like that's our hub, you know, that's, we want to bring people back. So when they're interested to learn more about who we are and what we stand for, there has to be somewhere for them to go. And to me, that's the blog. Yes, you could have a site and it's going to have like your content, but I feel like the blog just offers a little bit more just vulnerability and they just get a chance to know you even more than what that is on, on social media. So I think you have to direct them somewhere. And I think the blog is it. Like I, I, to this day, I still think the blog is a vital piece. Got it. All right. So let's come back to, you had mentioned, you've referenced media a couple of times that that seems like media has really helped position you as a go-to authority and expert. So, all right. So take off your humility cap for a second and just name drop on us. Who are some of the like publications that you've written for media outlets that you've been on? Why don't you dazzle us with that? Sure. Uh, currently, I'm a contributor to CNBC, Forbes, Entrepreneur, US News, Huffington Post, Credit.com, Investopedia, and I think that's it. You're such a nerd. It used to be AOL, but they changed their agreement. I didn't want to do it anymore. So. <laughs> what are some of the other TVs, network, any of that stuff that you, you've been on in the past? Just CNBC, really. I haven't done a lot of TV stuff, but uh, I've worked with uh, just media deals, like worked with Time and Money.com. So mostly like online stuff, blogs, written stuff, mainly that kind of... Okay. So, well, actually, let me ask you this. How much do you feel like those media connections, the media appearances, being a contributor to some of these major publications has helped in your business? I think on the financial side, it's helped immensely because one thing is, it's one thing for you just like to publish something on your blog. I mean, yeah, that can position yourself as an expert and people might, you know, see that and view you as that. But when you publish something on Forbes, right now you got Forbes backing you as the expert. So you know what we do is this with our our a lot of my financial planning articles that I think are good. Like we have them republished, you know, with the Forbes logo and say, hey, here's the latest article that Jeff wrote, you know, for CNBC or Forbes. So I think that's huge. But the cool thing is that that's just the extra step. If you just get quoted in one of these publications, you know, like, you know, that's, you see the as seen on or as featured on in a lot of these places. I mean, that carries a lot of weight with people. Um, I, I kind of didn't realize that as much because I've just been so focused on being a tributor as well. But you talk to the average person and say, Hey, I was quoting CNBC. Like, wow, like, right. that's a big deal. Just the fact that CNBC would view you as somebody worth quoting, you know, in a piece that they're working on. Like that's a, that's a big deal. That's a whole lot easier to get than the contributor, but that's where I started. 
So if you're going to start doing that today and and you knew that you wanted to be in some type of, of major media or publication, like where do you even begin? You know, if you know, like, you know what you want to speak about and you know what you feel like you're kind of a go-to person on and where you want to put your stake in the ground, do you need to identify like certain publications that speak to that? Because again, like you're talking about like, like a Forbes or a personal finance magazine is going to be different than a, you know, a time or, you know, just some type of more broad generic a Yahoo or whatever. That's more of a generic type of, of market. So how do you kind of figure that out of who to even like where you should kind of focus your efforts? Yeah. So whatever your niche is, I mean, the thing that I started doing in the beginning is Haro, H-A-R-O, help a reporter out. And it's a free service that you can sign up for. And they basically just each, I think up to three times a day, They'll email you journalists, bloggers that are looking for quotes for different categories. Mm -hmm. And like, that's where I started. And what you can do there, if they list who the journalist is, the blogger, whoever, then you can look them up usually on Twitter or LinkedIn possibly and start following them and then start sharing their content, maybe engaging with them. Uh, I did that with the Dow Jones reporter. And so you just become fresh in their mind to where, and long as your bio and you have a site that maybe they might click on, or you might offer like, oh, if you ever need any other tips or quotes for another piece, a future piece you're working on, you know, happy to help. And just like, that's how you start. Twitter has been a really, for me, I've really got business from Twitter, but it's been great to connect with other professionals and a lot of journalists, bloggers, and media people from like all the, the big places. And that's helpareporter.com. Yeah. yeah. And I've I actually, uh, it's been a while since I've looked at that site. I used to use it pretty religiously, but, and I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's definitely there's, and it's insane the number of requests that they have on a daily basis. Like one email may have, you know, 30 listings of journalists or reporters looking for a quote or looking for, you know, something. And if they're sending, you know, two or three of those a day, that may be, you know, 75, 100 opportunities per day. Now, again, you got to sift through those because they're looking for all different types of, of subjects and genres. So if I'm going through it and I come across someone that says that they are looking for a quote or, or need tips or something that I feel like I can provide some feedback and context on, what are some best practices on approaching them where that balance of showing like, I'm an expert on this. I can speak to this without being annoying, a pain and just standing out from the crowd. Yeah. So I think the first thing you do, I mean, if, if we're talking about just initially following them on social media, like that's where you're just sharing their content, maybe commenting back and forth saying good job. And then later on, I mean, you kind of have to nurture that relationship. If we're talking about you're responding to a Harrow request you want to give everything that you've got in that initial email. You know, I made the mistake of, oh, hey, I'm a CFP. If you need any more information on this, happy to help. Like, you just got deleted. Right. Because these people most of the time are on a deadline, so they want that information right then and there. So in that initial email, you give everything and everything in the kitchen sink what you think will help them in that article. That will get you more responses. So those are the two things I think that you can start with. But... Um, yeah, that's your question. Yeah, one of the things you kind of you kind of touched on there, and it sounds like that this is really like being mentioned in media and building and being a, a contributor, doing anything with media. It sounds like, in a very similar way to speaking, it sounds like it's very much a relationship business, and relationships take time. So it's not just the I went from this relative unknown into all of a sudden I'm this massive contributor. It may take time just building those and nurturing those relationships. So you said you're you're contributing regularly to like Forbes, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of walk us through that. Like, how does that deal come from I subscribe to Forbes to now I'm a contributor? Like, what, walk us through that. 
Yeah. Uh, so this even is like another timeline t- for just context. So it's not like I send an email and all of a sudden I'm in like, what, like, what's that like? Yeah. Probably the third thing that I could mention, which will kind of be part of the story is it's also good to attend conferences, whatever niche that you're in, because you can make good contact with people, but make sure that you're attending these conferences with a, how can I help you mentality? Not what can you give me mentality? So that plays into this whole Forbes thing. I, at the time, so Forbes, that was the beginning of 2015. And like, this was like the next thing that I was really hoping for. So at this point in time, I already had my book that was published. Uh, I was contributing to US News, I think AOL at the time, Huffington Post, a few others. And I had some of those social media things I was talking about, CNBC, not yet. And I had three people that I in. knew. Jump in. All right. So just, so just for context sake though, you've been doing stuff on your own. Like you've, Correct. you've been like planting seeds. You've given them a reason. Uh, you've demonstrated on your own that I'm an expert. I know what I'm talking about versus sending an email and saying, I'm an expert. And they're like, let me see your blog or your site. And you're like, Oh, I don't have one. Like you've been putting yes. in the work for a while. Yes. So initially I tried to find someone that I knew that was already contributor at Forbes or news an editor at Forbes. So I tried that approach first. I had three different people intro me to their editor, their contact at Forbes, and none of them responded. <laughs> Not a single one. Oh, for three. And one of which was a good friend of ours, Noah Kagan, who, you know, he's a pretty respected in the online and entrepreneur space, and he didn't even get a response. He actually emailed a second time and still didn't get a response. I'm like, hmm. dear Lord, why is this so hard? <laughs> So then I had another person that I met at uh, the Financial Blogger Conference and she, I knew that she was a contributor, but I, what did I do? Oh, so I had a list on AOL. It was like the top 17 financial experts of, that are attending FinCon for 2014. And I mentioned her as one of those 17 people. That was somewhat strategic. So I did that like in November of 2014. And then somehow we were Facebook messaging and she's, oh, if you would want an intro to, I was asking her, hey, how did you get into Forbes? Just curious. And then she's like, oh, if you want an intro, you know, let me know. And would she have done that had I not, because I didn't really know her at the time whenever I included her in this uh, top influencer list. Yeah. But it definitely, she appreciated it and actually noticed that she used it as one of her email signatures, like AOL's top, 17 influencer or something like that. So she appreciated it. And she said, uh, got me the introduction, but then she had me send me the pitch that she was going to forward on to the editor. And I sent her what I thought was sufficient. And she said, no, you got to do more. So I ended up submitting, which was almost like a mini book proposal of here's who I am. Here's like my sample bio Here's some places that I wrote for. Here's some other uh, people have said to me, here are five articles that, you know, I would write for Forbes. And I mean, it was a, one of the longest emails I've ever so this sent. Was, this is more than just, hey, I'm, I'm pitching to do a post or a article. This is pitching to be a regular contributor. To be a regular contributor. Okay. Correct. And that's the approach I always took. I never actually, some people do pitch to publish an article. Which, I mean, I think there's good in that, but I was looking for, I don't know, I just wanted it. I wanted my cake and everything. So say, it seems like you're like swinging for the fences right out of the gate. Hey, I know we just met, but I'd love to be a regular contributor there. So do you think it would work better if you said, hey, let's just, let's go on a first date and let me just put, let me create one post for you, one article. And if that goes well and you get good feedback and good traction on the site, then maybe I can, it's a lot easier to leverage that into like a regular contribution. 
Yes, it probably could. I think at that point in time, since I was, I felt that I was quote unquote established, you know, with all the other places sure. I contributed to and published author, like I thought I had some good merit. So, but yeah, if I didn't have that, I think pitching the article and with it. So if you're taking that approach, you know, it's pitching the article title, what it covers, who, why you think it's good. I mean, you really got to sell how this is going to be beneficial to their readers. And then if you have any potential social media reach that can help promote the article, I mean, that's very good too. So you just got to figure out what's the benefit to them and what they're going to get out of it, not what you're going to get out of it. What do you feel like is the benefit for them? Uh, Because they're looking for more than just he contributed a quote or contributed a a cute article. Because especially, you know, major sites like Forbes or like a a Huffington Post, like they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of posts on a monthly, weekly, maybe even daily basis. So what is appealing about you or about, you know, someone who may be listening saying, how do I stand out from any other number of people that they could have write or contribute? I think it's the power of believing in yourself and how you are unique and what your unique voice offers to the situation. Because like you said, I'm a certified financial planner. There's 65,000 of us in the country. You know, I'm not the only one. So how am I different? And really it's just what I believed in. I did go niche on my pitch there. So I said I was going to talk to Generation X personal finance issues. So that's probably as niche as I've ever gotten. The funny thing is I don't even talk about that on my articles <laughs> for anymore, but you know, that was my pitch that uh, they got me in. But I think you always have to remember that your experience is unique to everybody else's. So you have something unique to offer. Like don't, if you think that you don't, then you'll never believe in yourself. So you have something unique to offer, sell it like it's the best thing ever. Well, I think another thing too, is that Yes, there are 65,000 other certified financial planners out there, but not all of them are making an effort to get in front of editors at Forbes or wherever. So yes, there's a lot of you, but some of of what makes you stand out from the crowd is just making the effort to go find those things instead of, I'm a certified financial planner and I see that Jeff is doing is on some major media and major publications. So if I just click my heels together and wish and close my eyes really tight, then maybe someday they'll find me. But like being more proactive with it seems like it's that's really made a big difference and being strategic with it as well. Right. Totally. So and, and even like going back to that that list that you made of the 17, you know, influencers to to connect with, one of the things that I liked about that is that you you gave value before you ask for value. So meaning that you didn't have any connection to this gal who had the connection to Forbes, instead of just coming, you know, right out and saying, Hey, nice to meet you. Can you make an introduction? It's like, I just met you. Like, why would I do that? But providing some type of value first before asking for something, how big of a factor do you think that played in it? Oh my gosh. I think it's so huge. I kind of use it. uh, I call it the John Corcoran strategy. (laughs) Um, He's also a mutual friend of ours. Right. John is very good at networking, but the way that he does it is that he was able to become a contributor to a very popular blog called The Art of Manliness. He's also a Forbes contributor. He's one of the guys that also helped me that we got goose eggs. But I know like one thing that he'll use, like he'll write for another site, a big site, and he'll usually quote or mention someone else that he's interested in meeting with and connecting with. I think one example was uh, you know Noah Kagan, another person we mentioned. Like he didn't know Noah, but he was really interested to meet Noah. And it all started with, he wrote an article for the art of manliness and quoted Noah. And I think a blog post that uh, quote that Noah had wrote and then linked it and talked about it. And then on Twitter said, Hey, just want to let you know, I I mentioned you in this article. 
And like that was how he opened the door. And this is a little bit more online marketing ways of, uh, of networking. But I, I just love that strategy because, hey, I'm going to, I'm mentioning, I'm writing for a site that gets like a 1 million plus, maybe even 2 million. Now, I don't even know. Like they got a huge audience and promoting you, I'm not asking anything in return, but hey, just want to make sure that you saw it, you know, in case you want to share it to your people to see that you were mentioned and quoted and stuff in that, that site. And that's just like one way. And that's kind of the same strategy that I've done for um, like the most recent article. I don't have ambitions or, I mean, I would love to meet Tim Ferriss, but I don't have to. I mean, for our work, we could definitely change my life. I wrote an article in Entrepreneur where I mentioned him. Really didn't have any intent, but you, you, you forwarded to me where he actually shared it with his entire email list. It's like 2 million email subscribers. And like, it kind of opens the door. Maybe like if I ever wanted maybe something, I mean, I would still tread lightly because I don't know him that well, but I feel like it kind of opened the door for that. Right. And again, I think that's a, that's another good example of by being mentioned in some of these major publications, it's kind of these like byproducts that you can't necessarily plan for, but they just, they happen and kind of organically that, and this is a great current example. You wrote this, I mean, literally within the past few days, you, you know, you wrote this post on Forbes or on entrepreneur, you mentioned Ferris and he sends an email mentioning you and I'm scanning through my emails and kind of scanning through his emails. Like Jeff Rose, I know Jeff Rose. What this, how the heck did he, but because again, you just happen to mention it and it's this byproduct that, you know, again, like you said, may or may not turn into something, but I think that's a good example of, again, positioning yourself as this authority and expert with via the media and via these major publications uh, has really made a big difference in, in your, your business. Absolutely. I'm curious on these posts that you've written or contributing in general, uh, are you paid on any of this stuff or is it more just kind of you're, you're getting exposure and you're getting pat on the back? No, Forbes would pay me if I were to contribute. I think they want five articles a month and I just I, for me, it's, I'd rather, um, it's for the exposure and also just from the search engine optimization aspect, it's also the backlinks to the blog. We can talk that entirely a separate conversation, but no, none of them are paid. A few like AOL used to pay and some others like would pay, but like it wasn't, it basically just paid for like editing costs. Gotcha. But yeah, no, none of them are paid. So this is all, but the cool thing that all these sites, they allow you to republish that content on your own site. So I always tell people like, don't feel like you're losing it because it, one, you're getting your voice and exposure to a much larger audience that you'll probably ever have in your entire life. Yeah. And they allow you to republish it on your own site and maybe include it in a newsletter or share it on Facebook, whatever. I mean, it's just, yeah. it speaks volumes. Yeah. Again, a lot of byproducts that come out of it. So beautiful. Well, man, I appreciate you sharing the, uh, the, the time with us and sharing some of the, the wisdom and knowledge that you've got. Hey, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, and if people need some uh, financial wisdom, where can we go? They need to go to grantbaldwin.com. There you go. And we'll redirect that too. <laughs> you can check me out, uh, Good Financial Sense, C E N T S.com. I'm also fairly active on Twitter. G- I don't have a stuttering problem. J Jeff Rose. Why is that? Why did you do that? Because Jeff Rose from Canada already got it. And I guess I could have went Jeff hyphen Rose or dash underscore. I don't know. I just, yeah, I tried to buy it from him. He didn't want to sell it. I bought, I bought grantbaldwin.com from a guy. Uh, Rose.com from did you? Like, Rose, yeah, that guy, the Canadian guy. But no, it's somebody else. And actually, whenever we went back and forth in the emails, like his name wasn't even Jeff. It was really weird. I didn't understand that. I'm gonna buy your. And the next thing that pops up, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up and just squat on it for a while for you. <laughs> Perfect. All right, dude. Thanks for your time. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat chatteroo with Jeff Rose. Some good stuff, huh? How to position yourself as an expert as well as how to connect with the media, how to get, sometimes uh, I wonder, like, how do you get on some of these major shows or how do you get written about in in major publications or magazines or articles or whatever that may be? So uh, some great thoughts and insights there from, from Jeff. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 112. We will catch you next time. You're awesome.